Climbing Gold is a production of Duct Tape Thin Beer. Hey everyone, the Olympics are over. It's been a crazy two weeks for us here at Climbing Gold. I think we are all exhausted from Alpine starting our days. On a competition level, Climbing's debut did not disappoint. We saw some incredible athleticism. The men's final took a few wild swings. With one climber left, Adam Andre stood to win a gold medal. And then Jakob Schubert came up, surpassed Andre, knocking him all the way to sixth place due to the scoring systems. Spain's Alberto Genez Lopez took the gold, and Nathaniel Coleman, after winning the bouldering segment, took the silver. American Colin Duffy put in a super solid showing, and it all came down to the last move from the last climber. Pretty awesome. The women's final was more straightforward, with favorite Janja Garnbred of Slovenia dominating the field. Japanese climber Mio Nanaka and Akio Noguchi took the silver and bronze, respectively. And American Brooke Rabatou had a heartbreaker of a day. Minutes after Yanya stood atop the podium in the medal celebration, Alex, Lisey Hendricks, our executive producer, John Bergman, our producer, and I hopped on the phone. We were all a little tired, but psyched to catch up for an Olympic debrief. We talked the good, the bad, the ugly. Turns out we suck at watching TV. And a quick note, after today's episode, we're going to take a short break. We'll be back in two weeks for the second half of our season with some more incredible stories. So let's dive in. everybody oh good oh yeah good emotional highs and lows everything in between i'm so sad for brookie i'm so sad yeah heartbreak yeah is it is the heartbreaking (laughs) (laughs) well well i think it's heartbreaking because she like It'd be so hard to work so hard for something and then fall where you know you probably shouldn't have fallen. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm sure that's disappointing. It definitely felt like she... I mean, heartbreaking in the sense that I just feel like she she could have gone higher on that lead. Like, nine climbs out of ten probably would have gone higher on that lead route, but that's that's the game. Okay, so let's let's start with the good. Like, I was hoping everyone could give me a moment that stood out. For for me, I think it was really the moment of actually experiencing it as a as a fan, um, you know, behind you know, kind of streaming something from my kitchen and seeing like a whole new way to succeed in this sport before my eyes. It, this felt like that door got opened at the Olympics for me, and I, I'll kind of won't ever forget that of just being like, wow, there's gonna be you know, just, just a new way to, to experience this sport and to strive for it where it'll have all the same value, but it just, it's totally different. And the experience of getting there will be so different than say like free climbing El Cap or something like that. That's funny. I actually didn't quite have that, that Olympic moment in the same way. Uh, probably because I was struggling to stream the live feed in my garage on my computer in the middle of the night. So it definitely didn't quite feel like mainstream sports yet because then yesterday when I watched highlights of other sports at my aunt and uncle's house on their big TV with their TiVo or whatever, 
Um, you know, then I was like, oh, these are real sports where you can watch them on a TV. But like, because I don't have a TV and because it, you know, you couldn't yeah. stream climbing live, like, it, you know, it didn't quite feel mainstream to me yet. But, um, but to me, the, the triumphant moment of the Olympics and what, what kind of, you know, the, the moment that I'll remember most from, from climbing in the Olympics is probably Jakob Schubert coming out in the, the men's lead final, coming out last, topping out the route and then podiuming as a result. Uh, you know, because to me that, that sort of embodies the Olympic spirit in some ways. You and know, knocking you off a, Andra, you know, like basically ending Andra's chances yeah, too. It was like, well, I, I, a, well, I didn't actually know the math at the time. So I didn't really know that that was changing the, the rankings for, for Adam. I just, to see a competitor come out with tremendous pressure and then perform at his best and to actually top a route that nobody else has been able to top out. Because to me, it's important for competitors to actually get to the top. Like I like seeing a competitor make it to the top of a route, particularly if everybody else has... His fall. I mean, the men's lead final route was just so well spaced, you know, like all the competitors fell in, in different places strewn amongst the last 15 holds, let's say, you know what I mean? Like there was good separation, but they were all pretty high on the route. And so you could tell that everybody tried their best. They all put in a good fight, but then the last competitor comes out, tops out the route and then moves up into the podium. And you're like, that is greatness. Lisi. Yeah, I I actually felt the same way, Alex. That was one of my favorite moments for sure was watching that. And just the fact that he was the last competitor too, I think made it even more dramatic. Um, similar to Fitz, just the idea that this is going to change the, the direction of maybe like how people, why people enter the sport and then also like what the goal is, is a, a big moment. And then- just watching for me too, watching Nathaniel perform really, really well, just felt super inspiring. Um, and I don't know why, maybe it's because I know him in person and we've talked to him and maybe it's partially just feeling more of a closeness to him than other competitors, but I just was really inspired by how well he was performing. Yeah, I mean, we'd, we'd heard plenty of the other members of Team USA talk about his strong mental game and how he's able to perform under pressure. And I feel like we definitely saw that here here in the Olympics. I agree. I agree with all. I mean, Jakob's top was incredible. I, the, 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 Yanya's tears of joy at the end was was really powerful. But I, yeah, I probably, the, the image that I'll remember most is watching Nathaniel stick the top of men's two in the bouldering finals the the toe the right foot toe catch that he did there i literally i just stood up in my chair the same way you stand up when your team wins a touchdown or something i i i I like bumped the the table and like spilled my coffee and i was like i don't care this oh i was just so psyched it was it was pure uh like unabashed fandom just for him getting the top of that specific boulder and I'll never forget it. Watching um, the men's final in particular, that was, it was a, it was like, I, I'm not incredibly a crazy, con- it was incredibly dramatic. Like I'm not a connoisseur of, of comps. Like I felt like I had just entered into John's hollowed ground of <laughs> ultimate fandom watching that. And we were like, welcome. You know, <laughs> Yeah, like, like it was. It was like, wow, this is. I can't. Like I was like standing up and yelling, and like it was. I, I thought it was a pretty incredible thing, and I just was curious, like how what you guys thought. I mean, I think my my biggest good is just the fact that the Olympics took place, that, that climbing was there, that it happened, uh, that 
you know, many of the biggest stars in the sport, you know, represented on, on the international stage like that. I, I don't know. I mean, many of the competitors set personal bests, speed climbing, and, and it felt like a lot of people just had good performances, like they climbed at their best. And so it was nice to see the athletes just perform at an elite level like that. Um, I don't, I don't know. You know, it was, it was a good competition. I thought one of the good moments was when Andra was speed climbing. And even though he lost technically, he still celebrated as he was coming down from the route because he had uh, beaten his own personal record um, and gotten under seven seconds. I thought that was just a pretty cool moment, just in terms of sport, just like realizing that you're competing against yourself really and celebrating that. I I was thinking about the speed PRs because there were so many, I think there were like 16 in the qualification round or something like that. 16 people set personal bests or beat, you know, set a personal best and then beat it in the next heat. And I was, I was thinking, is this good that there are so many PRs or is the subtext here that everybody is, you know, that speed is not their specialty. So they're still making drastic gains in it, which is kind of a way of saying, yeah, you really should not have these non-speed specialists doing speed races, right? No, I, I I hear you, but I think that's also the nature of a young sport in a way. You know, it's the first year of this competition format, and, you know, you should sort of expect that that it's getting ironed out a little bit. That's a good point. I mean, I, I prefer to look at that just as a great, like, look at all these athletes doing the best that they've ever done, you know, and, and rather, I'd prefer not to look at the other side of it, which is like, wow, they're really bad at this. <laughs> <laughs> but getting better, right? That's that's like... Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, they give an Olympic medal for most improved in the different disciplines. Okay, time for the bad. Yeah, I'm, I'm still, I'm, I'm still hung up on the commentary. The live stream commentary in the morning was by somebody who had never climbed clearly and just had no sense of what the sport was about and what what climbing meant to the competitors yeah i felt like we got a lot of good new terms though from the live commentary like never said falling like that's saying departed from the wall yeah i know i know (laughs) you're like what the one that made me really laugh was that the guy clearly didn't know the commentator clearly didn't know the difference between a belayer and an auto belay kept calling the belay, the belayer an auto belay volunteer which i was thinking like that's a really uh, unique way of saying what this person is 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 doing that, that's what you call a They're actually uh, robots right no that's that, that's what you call an oversight parent at the gym who's willing to just belay their, their child for hours and hours like like when i was a kid my dad was the auto belay volunteer because he would go. come into the gym and belay me for like three hours and only climb a few routes himself <laughs> he was my auto belay volunteer there was, was another like, that's, so funny. <laughs> that's good there was another one too when the guy clearly didn't know what a gaston was because he kept saying it's like an upside down undercling and you're kind of like well wouldn't an upside down undercling be just a normal a normal hold right? like yeah, well, a normal I, jug and that's still not a gaston so kind of confusing the, the in the men's qualifier lead route the guy kept saying going from the undergrip to the overgrip meaning from like matching this big sloping undercling feature to go into like a down pulling crimp and i was just like man the undergrip to the overgrip i was like this is so bad and he was watching jan hoyer from germany climbing on the men's lead route and multiple times he just commented on his physique. He was like, look at how muscular he is. Like he's, I'm pretty sure he said he has lats like a barn door. And you know, I I maybe misheard, but I was like, I was like, what? You know, and it was funny because 
you know, it's like you, you read about athletes being objectified in sport and things all the time, but like, I was like, huh, it's like, I suddenly feel bad for Jan Hoyer, you know, he's like this big strapping German man. But I was like, that's so weird that, you know, he's at the Olympics competing at an elite level and all the commentator has to say is like how his body looks while he does it. And then contrasted against the the live commentary for the skateboarding that I was watching yesterday. And, you know, I don't know anything about skateboarding, but the commentators clearly did because they were they were deeply knowledgeable about the tricks but then also they just knew the competitor's styles you know it's like oh is this person like look relaxed or like are they executing well with, with what they know how to do and, you know it's just like they you know even, even though i didn't know what they were talking about i still just knew that that there was this rich history and and sort of culture to skateboarding that they were helping me tap into for the the packaged nbc content later here and megan martin commenting yeah. on the the men's uh, finals I was like, oh, this is actually quite insightful and, and yeah, quite great. nice. And yep. Yeah, I mean, she was really good. I was like, this is this is yep. great. And, th- and this is actually one of the confusing things, I think, about watching uh, climbing in the Olympics this year is it was hard to even know if you're watching the same thing as other people because depending where you are, you're seeing different live streams with different commentators. Y- you know, it's just like hard to know like if, if climbing is even being presented in the right way because it's being presented so many different ways. Yeah. It definitely is slightly anticlimactic to to see climbing in the Olympics finally, but then have it streaming from 1 a.m. to to 6 a.m. every morning. Uh, I mean, basically, it was is quite hard to to actually watch the climbing. Basically, each morning at 4 a.m., I'd have like 15 tabs open on my browser, trying to figure out how and where I can actually see some of the climbing. I had the same situation. Like, I had to do the classic. Like, I was like, how old am I? I had to call my dad and be like, dad, can I get your cable TV login so I can do it? was like, what the, <laughs> this is, it's 2021 people. Like, I was like, really? Like, I need to have a actual cable subscription to do this. It, yeah, was, it was funny. It too, was weird. I was like willing to pay for it too, you know, because I was like, this is important and I'm excited about it. But then there wasn't really an easy way to sign up, you know, cause I was like, I'm not going to sign up for cable cause I don't even own a television. You know, I was like, I wanted to just sign up for the streaming and then be able to stream it but i couldn't even figure that out really so i want to basically i was like i feel like the olympics hasn't quite joined the 21st century in terms of streaming i ended up borrowing a friend's parents cable subscription um (laughs) to watch it on nbc sports app um we've we've all grown up haven't we like it's like pretty it's pretty awesome to be like ah yeah. yeah my parents don't even have cable anymore but i thought peacock you know, NBC sort of botched it because if they wanted to try to reach young viewers, it just isn't available on Peacock, which is the easiest thing to watch it on. It had me thinking very existentially about like, oh, do we do we have too much media in our world now? Because it's I think the intention was to make it really easy to find. Right. There were all these Hulu and YouTube TV and NBC Olympics dot com and Peacock and all this stuff. but. It's almost like there there was just too much, and and at the end of the day, people had trouble finding it. So it's you can say all you want about how there were all these different options, but if if people couldn't find it, it, it doesn't matter how many options there were. It's like a buffet right now of options, and it's very hard to to navigate, especially when you're waking up. Like one of the mornings, I got up at like three thirty to watch the bouldering or something. And I'm just like, it is too early to be trying to navigate a cable <laughs> subscription. I was like, what? Was like this is absurd. <laughs>
than the ugly. Um, you know, I think it's hard not to look at this and think about all the preparation that, that maybe went into uh, this format and, and not look at the scoring and, and kind of scratch your head. Um, and some of the decisions that just sort of got made on that front. Yeah, they, they, I think there's room for improvement with the multiplied with the multiplied I know scoring. D- to see Adam Andre go from first place to sixth place just because another guy climbed two holes higher than him on a route, you're kind of like, oh, like that's that's a weird product of scoring. But then, but but I actually I I do feel like Colin is actually the most robbed of the male competitors because, like you said, he did so well in each discipline, and yet his overall standing just does not reflect that. And it's like I hope he comes away from the comp feeling inspired by the fact that he is basically competing at the highest level on, in each discipline rather than being depressed that he didn't that he didn't podium you know because yeah. i was like man his performance was incredible it just isn't reflected in the scores right and it's like isn't that what in the truest sense isn't that what the combined discipline should reflect totally right? and uh and it you know arguably doesn't right now well it's a work in you know like all things it's a work in progress <laughs> I was really disappointed in the way speed climbing was scored. Um, in like in qualifiers, I felt like, you know, they scored it by best time. And then in finals, it was scored, you know, based on brackets. And to me, that just didn't do that sport justice. The, the whole bracket thing, I think, is stupid because it's like all you really care about is what's the best time, like who can go the fastest. Exactly. It's like- um, so that didn't make sense to me. And that, that really felt like, you know, if you started looking at fastest times um, and if they had done it that way, that would have also really changed the scores. Yeah, I totally agree. I'm looking at the men's times and Colin Duffy actually posted the fastest speed time of the whole round. And yet he got fifth. Yeah. I'm sure that was like messed that, up. you know, yeah, it's just kind of, it's kind of silly. Yeah. We'll be back in a moment after we hear from our sponsors. Did you guys feel like it it played out like that it belonged in the Olympics? Although there are areas where I think we can definitely critique and criticize with a lot of valid points, I, I feel like it. To me, it felt like it it belonged in the Olympics. The watching um, the women's qualifiers for me, I don't know. I got kind of emotional actually. Um, I think just like seeing women sport climbing at the Olympics just felt like this special moment in our sport where it was like, for me anyways, where I was like, wow, this is being recognized at an Olympic level Um, because so many people put so much work and time and effort, blood, sweat, and tears into this sport. Um, And it is such a difficult sport, I think. It was just... I think emotional to see that recognized. Hey, I, I've got something I want to want to throw out here that I feel like is relevant for for climbing gold because it ties into everything we've been exploring in the last season and and sort of leading into the Olympics. But um, I watched the men's skateboarding park finals yesterday. I think it was. Mm-hmm. I'm not even totally sure because I haven't watched any other skateboarding events. It but, was the um, park but, finals, yeah. Yeah, so it was the first skateboarding event that I'd watched. And it was very impressive. It was fun to watch. You know, I don't know anything about skateboarding. So I was like, wow, this is cool. But the thing that I was really struck by was that I felt like it captured skate culture pretty well in that the skaters themselves 
got to show a lot of personality, like not just in the tricks they're doing, but also just in the way they entered and exited the the park and the way they're all hugging each other and they're all hanging out and they're all, and, and like the music that was playing, like it definitely felt like they were at a skate festival. And I feel like that's something that the climbing coverage was maybe lacking a little bit. Like it didn't feel decidedly like climbing culture to me. Um, and, you know, I mean, and that's kind of the nature of climbing, t- climbing competitions in general, I guess, just because the competitors have to be in isolation to keep the competition fair. And, um, and, and, you know, that may have been exacerbated because there were no fans this year, you know, there's no crowd cheering and all that. But I have to say watching the skateboarding, I was like, this feels like skate culture, at least to some extent. And, and watching climbing, I was like, I don't know if this does feel like climbing culture necessarily. I mean, you see it a little bit in the way the competitors are all supporting each other backstage in isolation, how they're all, you know, enthusiastic for each other, whoever's podiuming. Um, you know, you can tell that they're all friends and but I don't know, you know, it didn't really scream like this is climbing culture to me. I don't know. What, what do you guys think about it? When you say climbing culture, the first thing that comes to mind to me is hanging out with friends, somewhat lighthearted, but also trying really hard together, just, you know, crushing it either at a boulder or at, at a gym. And so when you say if we could make the competitions have that would it be removing the the idea of isolation altogether, right? It, for it, particularly for bouldering, so you have just like at a gym, like you would have the competitors come out, and one person would try it, and they'd go sit down, and the next person would get up out of the group and try it, and then sit down next to that person, and you would hang out and talk about it, you know, in between the attempts. It would be this would be a, a wild change of the competition architecture, of course, but. Yeah. And, and, and I'm not sure if that's actually better or, you know, if that could even lend itself to fair competitions or anything. But I was just struck by the fact that watching the skateboarding, I was like, this feels like a bunch of skateboarders having a good time. And like, it feels like skateboarding in its finest, even that, you know, not that I know anything about skateboarding, but, um, but that's just like the, the, you know, the superficial impression that I got. And I was like, I just don't know if, if watching the climbing competition, you know, felt like the essence of climbing to me necessarily. But so much of climbing culture was built on climbing outside. And I think that's the nature of indoor climbing competitions in general is that it, it's it's hard to show that culture when it's just such a different environment. It's, it's kind of a, it's, I was just going to say, it's kind of a catch-22, right? Because we, one of the themes this season, we kind of all agree that, or I think to a, to a certain extent, we agree that competition to grow to its fullest extent has to be allowed to have its own identity removed from the outdoors and even more so than it is now, right? Like two separate fan bases, two separate groups of competitors. And yet here we are saying like, oh, but it'd be nice if the out if the competition had a little more of that traditional climbing culture. So it's almost like this is this is the whole crux of the this conversation which is like yeah, it needs to go out and be its own thing, but it's it it also has this this rubber band, right? tying it to its history and stuff. I totally agree with you. And I think really maybe what I, what I'm trying to articulate is that in some ways it makes me slightly sad to, you know, see my child all grown up and moving away. You know, like in some ways that's kind of what climbing in the Olympics and and, and just competition climbing in general, it's like, oh, you are seeing a branch of climbing sort of grow up and move away. And 
and you know, I'm like, oh, it's too bad. I mean, and, and I think it's, it's the right thing. It's a natural thing. It, it makes sense. It's, you know, it's well done in this case. Like, you know, the Olympic competition was, was well executed with great roots. I'm like, you know, yeah, it's all good, but it's still slightly sad to see, to, you know, to, to see your old friend move away. You know, the Olympics have the power to mint stars or sort of like crown somebody and, and, you know, really sort of like push them into the forefront of sporting culture. If you look at someone like Sean White or Simone Biles, and and I guess coming out of this, did you feel like climbing had had a star minted? I think it might be a little too early to tell just because, I mean, the women's finals ended an hour ago. And, and I think a lot of climbing, I think a lot of stardom has more to do with the external media performances, like how many interviews they do, how much they're shown on television, how much people hear about them. You know, I mean, you know, like Yanya, for example, has been dominating the, the World Cup scene for years but will winning an Olympic gold thrust her into international stardom? I mean, a lot of that just has to do with like how much media coverage she gets after the Olympics and and whether or not that actually makes her a star, you know, because it's not as if like winning one more competition changes who she is as a climber. I mean, she's still the same climber she was yesterday or, or last week. I mean, she's still this incredible climber. She was before the Olympics. She is after the Olympics. It's like stardom just has a lot to do with, with how much the, the public latches on to the, that that athlete's persona and and how much they're they're blown up you know and so i don't know i think we'll have to see in the next couple of weeks like how much the the mainstream media takes off and runs with with some of these climbers yeah quick follow on that like like from all of your perspectives like what does it take to to make a climber a star today i mean i i personally would like to say greatness first and foremost like they have to be very good at what they do and then I feel like they have to have some kind of charisma in the right way. You know, they have to bring something to the sport that, or, or really they have to bring spectators to the sport in some way. You know, they have to keep the fans engaged in some way. Uh, I don't know. You know, Nathaniel Coleman, I think getting getting a silver medal could could potentially be a, a big star for the U.S. In, in that way because he is very charismatic in, in a certain way. You know, it's like, I think, I mean, at least as, as I was following the, the men's competition, a lot of the commentators and, and actually, and a lot of my family and things are like, look at that guy. Like, look at his jawline. Like, what a, what a dude, you know? And you're just like, it, you know, like whether that's justified or fair or whatever else, you're kind of like, yeah, people are interested in him and he's performing at a very high level. And so, you know, it wouldn't be surprising if he winds up being a big draw for the sport. And it kind of depends on, on how much, he wants that role, you know, like, is he willing to do all the interviews and like step out and talk about climbing nonstop? So part of it's assuming the mantle of the ambassador for the sport. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I mean, a big part of it is actually doing the interviews, you know, responding to the emails, like doing the actual work that it takes to be a star or whatever. Yeah, I completely agree. I think there are plenty of climbers who are in a position where they could be stars, but they're not because of that, because they've not assumed that mantle. And it's greatness and and charisma. I totally agree with you, Alex. And then also wanting that role. Yeah, it's tricky to an extent because I feel like we're kind of trying to figure out what is the chemical formula for this. And the fact is there there really isn't because if there if there was a formula to making a star, then right if 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 every industry figured that out, then then I think the world would be a really different place. I think to an extent there's this the special like the it factor, right? That you people either have it or they don't. Yeah, actually, when you, when you just said that a lot of or really every 
industry has looked for that formula, I, I immediately thought of pop music because you definitely pop music they're constantly trying to churn out the next star and like you know hit makers and all that kind of stuff it's like you have somebody else writing the song somebody else producing the song somebody else paying for the song to be all over the radio and yet you still can't really consistently generate stars you know and i I think you're totally right that it requires that extra little something special it's like you know even when you have the whole industry pushing to make somebody a star it like still doesn't always necessarily work if if it's not the right person yeah and you know who is a really good test case for this is going to be maybe Alberto Hinez Lopez, who wins the men's Olympic gold. He's not at this point in terms of global stardom, even World Cup stardom, he's not he's not the top, right? He and 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 yet he's got the ultimate accolade. So if there is any chemical formula that you can figure out here, a you know, oh a big component, Olympic medal. Okay. So it's it's like he he has that now. It, it, can you can you make the climbing formula just like you can make a formula for for pop music, right? Give the accolade. Okay, well he he earned the gold medal. Good on him. Can he become a superstar with that or because of that? It'll be interesting to see. I think time will tell. Yeah, I, he, he looks so I, shocked that he had won. <laughs> he was just like, it was like, dude. I think like Nathaniel had to come over and be like, you won, dude. Good job. Like, he was like, huh? I didn't know whether he was just, like, so blown away or, like, the math was getting to him or what what was happening. But uh, well, it was kind of funny to watch that. I mean, I think it is appropriate, though, for him to be shocked because he didn't have the fastest speed time. He didn't have the best bouldering round. And he didn't have the best lead round. You know, even though he technically won the speed discipline. But, like, he didn't post the fastest time. You know, he wasn't the best speed climber by any means. It's like, I don't know. I mean, that's kind of the interesting product of the combined scoring format is, you know, you wind up with Alberto winning gold, but you're like, he wasn't technically the best at, at any of the disciplines, but you know, it's like on, on that particular day of competition, he did the best, you know? And so like, I'm, I'm not taking that away because, you know, he had a great day of competition, but you know, a lot of things went into that. Obviously one of the big stories of, of the Tokyo Olympics, um, was Simone Biles withdrawing. And and I don't, you know, I don't think we need to rehash that because, like, everyone rehashed that for nonstop for a week, basically, after that all that happened. It made me really think, Alex, like, um, of being like, is that happening in climbing? Or, like, do you feel that with, like, the sort of weight ex- of expectations? And and it made me think back to the, the moment I think a lot of people remember from Free Solo where you, you know, the first time the camera crew's all in place, you go up, you you try to go solo, you know, free rider. And it's like, no, not today. Like it's not feeling that good. Kind of, but I still think it's a completely different thing than, than Simone Biles pulling out of the Olympics. I mean, I think that, that for, to be the most recognized gymnast in the world with all the mainstream media in the entire world focused on you and still have the sort of strength of personality to pull out of the event that you're favored to win. Um, I mean, that's just a completely different scale of pressure, you know, because like w- with me and Free Solo, I'm like, yeah, the camera crew's in place, but the camera crew is six guys who are all friends of mine. It's not that much pressure, you know, and and the whole, you know, the potential to fall to your death. It's like, yeah, of course, there's some pressure there. But that said, if you don't feel like embracing it that day, you don't have to. And this is actually something that I've consistently said about climbing over the years is that in a lot of ways, it's a lower pressure. And this isn't as true for for competition climbing because competition climbing, you have to show up and perform on the day of the competition. But for outdoor climbing and for free soloing, you really do get to choose your day, which makes it very different than, than most other sports where you have to perform on the day of the competition, whether you feel like you're peaking or whether you feel sick that day. It's like either way, that's the day of the competition. You have to perform at you know, at your best. 
I don't know. I mean, I think for the type of climbing I do, there's just never that much pressure. Except, of course, for the fact that you could die if you fall off. <laughs> it's complicated. <laughs> it, to me, the, and, and this is just my opinion, right? Everybody's entitled to, to prefer whatever they prefer. But to me, it's, it's a, a more impressive feat for an athlete to have to perform on a given day um, as opposed to somebody who's maybe projecting like a 515A or something and and they can work on it when they choose. If the weather's not good, they they don't have to work on it that day. Like there's just something about the the um, the 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 fact that competition takes away all of that wiggle room is is what I love about it. Because the same same reason why I love other sports as well, right? It's like any given Sunday. Yeah, it's like the thing is though. What I like about competition is that it brings out the best in people. You know, it can bring out the best performances in the competitors. And I want to see people compete at their best. But that's kind of why I prefer the outdoor climbing is that you're more likely to see someone's best performance when they have some time to work on it and, and do it on their own terms. You know, it's like ultimately I just want to see the best possible performances. And I think tip, oftentimes those are found outside of competition. Yeah, that's cool. I've never... Th- thought about it that way uh it's interesting to think about it in in terms of other sports then right because it's it's almost like it doesn't really work because yeah because most other sports don't exist outside of competition i mean that's the thing is that most other sports i mean i mean if we just stick to uh like mainstream u.s sports like the nfl like they don't play outside of their competition games you know like like if they're not competing they're not playing because otherwise the risk of injury is too high and and you know there's nothing to be gained from it and so you never get to see, you know, great performance unless they're in the Super Bowl, let's say. And it's like, yeah, you can have those moments of greatness in competition, but you're not guaranteed to because, you know, because sometimes the competitor's sick or their nerves are getting to them or whatever else. You know, it's like, yeah, there's the possibility that the competition will bring out the best in them, but that's just not always the case. Building off that, it's kind of funny because like, like Shauna Coxley's retiring, um, you know, several of the competitors. Akio's Aki- said- retiring too, right? She gets her bronze medal and now she gets to go home. Yeah, she will retire after an incredible climbing career. I don't really think of climbers retiring per all the things you just sort of said is that there's so many ways to to do it on your own terms. That's the sort of path for the sport where it's like, oh, I have I have a set defined amount of time that I have with this sport that I'm going to, you know, use with it. And then I'll clearly won't be in contention anymore. And so I'm going to stop doing that version of that sport. And it, you know, for outdoor climbing, that's just kind of not really the case right it's like you know you're not being forced to retire because you're not relevant in terms of athleticism anymore alex i mean sorry is that too blunt no no we'll we'll also wait and see because i've actually been peaking in athletic performance we'll just just see (laughs) friends that are professional climbers they talk about quote unquote retiring from hard sport climbing or hard bouldering, for instance, because there will be a day that that will come, you know, where you, you can't climb nine, a plus anymore um, because your body just won't let you. So I think there is some of that, but it's, but I think you're right that it's different because you can continue to pursue the sport despite not being able to climb at that level. I think that's a good, that's a positive for the people in the sport, because in other sports, one of the things you read about a lot of times or hear about is athletes that 
they they have almost kind of like the child actor syndrome where they peak <laughs> at such a young age in the <laughs> at t- 10 years old you star in this movie or or 21 years old you play for this pro team and do this great thing and then it's by the time you're in your mid 20s or something there's kind of you're just left like what else do i do with my life and that has to be a really i can't even imagine what that would be like uh as <laughs> As someone who didn't didn't have many didn't have much to my name by by my mid twenties, other than just kind of you know bum, bumming around, um, so it's weird to to have that realization that y- you've done sort of the peak of what you're going to do, and now what? And climbers have they have an option? They have somewhere else they could go to after the competition scene that could still be healthy and lucrative and and all that. Um, yeah. So, so you're saying that Alberto Hines Lopez is not going to wind up like Macaulay Culkin? <laughs> <laughs> maybe that could be yeah, interesting. Because <laughs> I mean, we're, we're we're talking two child stars, you know, that really peaked early. We'll just uh, we'll just see how it plays out. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Somebody somebody get on that making the Home Alone Alberto <laughs> meme. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> But it is a unique, right? Like climbing's unique in that sense, in that there's this whole other world. If somebody focuses on the competition scene, there's this whole other world after it that that can be just as great, if not greater. We'll be back to wrap it up after a word from our sponsors. How, how do we assure, like, or can we even at this stage that, that like, this, you know, competitive climbing world kind of heads in a good direction? Like, what's, do we have the ability to do that? Like, is it just the sport too big at this stage to do that? Or is it just kind of going to get pulled towards where the money is? I'm, I'm curious, like, how, how do we kind of be good stewards for it? I want to hear John's take on this before I say anything. Honestly, I think... A lot of it would have to do with conscientious gym owners because the gym owners uh, in some ways uh, can influence the culture of the gym, whether it's a, a, a good culture or bad culture. Um, they can, if it's, if it's bad, they can take steps to change it. If it's, if it's good, they can take steps to encourage it. And the gyms are also where the youth teams are the comp scene's evolution is obviously going to come in some ways from the youth team because that's where the competitors will ultimately come from. And that's also where the coaches are coaching at the gym. So I think it's interesting. I didn't, I've never thought about this until you mentioned it, but I think that a lot of it comes back to the climbing gyms and, and making sure that those places maintain all that's good about the sport you know, right now there's kids training in the gym that we don't know about <laughs> that are probably going to be Olympic athletes. Um, and just how weird it is that like, this is going to change the future of how people train and how people, um, are doing things in the gym. And so I, I think that you're, you're totally right that, the gym is going to have a big hand in how this sport grows and um, how people participate in it. 
Yeah, there's a there's an old saying in other sports that can be a cl- a po- applied to climbing too, which is the best in this case a climber, the best climber in the world right now is some kid who hasn't even discovered climbing. I don't know the right way to say. It. I mean, you're right that gyms shape most people's climbing experience, but I think that if we're talking about how climbing is brought to the masses, I think a lot of that has to do with how it's shown in media you know it's like i mean as we just saw in the olympics a lot of it has to do with the commentary the camera work like how how it's all portrayed and i think that if if climbing wants to stay uniquely climbing you know i hate to say real climbers but like people with real knowledge and and and, you know a real love of the sport need to be involved in that you know to to the highest highest levels basically it's like you can't just have some some random producer at NBC being like, this is a great way to show climbers, you know, because if, if they don't know anything about the sport, you know, they're just not really showing what, what it's actually about. You know, I'm curious from each of you, do you think you'll remember these last few days? I definitely will. Just because, um, and it's funny, I've been thinking of the last four days of climbing competitions uh, a lot like I would think of a, an important alpine climb or something because I've been waking up at, you know, 3.30, 4.30 in the morning and then sort of, uh, you know, watching the the live feeds and then commenting on him and chatting about and doing interviews. And then, uh, you know, three of the last four days when the, the live competition is over, at, you know, about 6 a.m., I'm so amped from watching that I then – and I'm, I've been watching in my garage so I don't disturb the people staying in my house, you know, my wife and, and some friends and things. And so um, then I just transitioned straight into bouldering in the garage because I'm all amped and it's six in the morning and nobody's up and there's nothing to do yet. But I'm like, well, I may as well moonboard for a couple hours. And so it's actually been like, it's almost like a, a fun little climbing trip for me in that I've been, you know, deep diving Olympic coverage and then training for a couple hours and I'm just like super psyched. I'm kind of like, you know, I mean, it's a big moment for climbing and it seems appropriate to to sort of shape my my day and and, and really my week around this big moment, you know, just like be up early and just be all in for it and, and just sort of go with the, you know, sort of ride the wave. Be like, you know, since surfing's in the Olympics too, it seems like an apt uh, metaphor. But, you know, to just go with it. I'm like, yeah, it definitely feels like a moment. And and I think I will remember this moment. Doesn't it kind of feel like we've been on a journey with the competitors too over the past four days? Like, I I just think that, I don't know. It feels like we've kind of all been in this together in a way. Um, Actually, to, to bring it back to what makes a star, in some ways, maybe that's what makes a star is you're totally right. And I hadn't even thought about this until you said that is like, I do feel a, a certain closeness with the competitors that especially the finalists, you know, I feel like I've been hanging out with them for the last four days and like thinking about them and reading about them. And, you know, I feel like they're friends of mine now, even though I haven't even met, you know, basically any of the women's finalists except for Brooke. And, uh, and yet, yeah, now I feel a certain connection to them that, that I otherwise wouldn't have. And I'm like, maybe that is sort of the first step in, in building a superstar in a sport. It's like, you know, that the fans have to have some kind of connection with them in that way. It, it, it almost feels like uh, we've been through like a three-act play or something with all these competitors. And it's, we're, we're all like just – we're like in the audience clapping and they're on stage. Bat- just, I don't know. It's just really cool that it feels like we've all been on this journey together over the past – whatever you know 36 hours or four days three Three years years. three yeah (laughs) any kind of like last thoughts normally i don't look forward to waking up super early in the morning but i was like ready to go (laughs) every morning. So 
I think overall, it sort of left me with a sense of like excitement for just seeing how this unfolds. It feels weird now that it's over though, right? Because this has been such a significant part of our lives as climbers and also our lives as fans of climbing. And in a very literal sense, it's been a big part of our work. It just feels, I don't know. It's like, it's hard to believe it's over. You feel empty inside already? I feel a little, <laughs> I, feel, <laughs> I feel a void. Yeah, uh, I don't know. Um, I'm kind of sad. Like, I'm sad it's over, you know? Um, oh, I'm not. I'm looking forward to sleeping for a couple of days. <laughs> no, no, I, I totally hear you, though. It does feel like it's we've been building up to this huge moment for so long. Now we're like, wait, do we not have to watch more tomorrow? It's like, is it really done? I'm like, oh, no. Yeah, to, to me, that that's another way in which it doesn't quite feel mainstream yet, because watching by myself in the garage, I definitely wanted to be able to, like, talk to somebody about it or be like, did you see that? But then I'm like, oh, realistically, none of my friends are up. None of my family, you know, I don't want to say they don't care because, I mean, they are excited to see the little primetime bundle on NBC at some point. But, um, but you know, I was like, oh, this doesn't quite feel like a Super Bowl party, you know, where, like, everyone's getting together to watch. I was like, there's definitely nobody else in my garage at 4.30 in the morning watching this with me. Yeah, you, you the 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 measure that we've made is when it's being shown at a at a bar when you can call your friends and be like, yeah, the bar's showing it. Let's go meet there, watch it, get some wings or something. <laughs> 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 we haven't made it till we get the wings. All right, I'm gonna get some sleep. I'm probably gonna skip on the wings, but I'm definitely gonna go get a beer. We'll be back in two weeks. Climbing Gold is a production of Duct Tape and Beer. Alex Honnold is our host. Today's episode was produced by John Bergman and me. I also did the editing on it. Additional editing and mixing by Matt Martin. Music today by Brendan O'Connell. Art direction by Anya Miller. Our executive producers are Becca Hall and Lisey Hendricks for Duct Tape and Beer and Jonathan Retzik and Ben Endy for RxR Sports. Thanks for listening. <laughs>